What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. Welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzini program where we talk about financial freedom and economics. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, this episode, I wanted to piggyback it off of not the last episode, but the episode before that, where we were kind of talking about how we're not all in this together. Focus on yourself and your own self-interests, and in the end, you will make the economy and the whole COVID-19 situation better. You, you ultimately, you'll, you'll make your life better in general, right? That's, that was the whole idea of what we were talking about. And I felt that there were some things I wanted to clarify on there. I don't know if I explained everything as well as I could have. And I'm going to, I want to clarify a few things. And then I want to talk about what exactly is your own self-interest because that itself is a very, very difficult thing for most people to identify. I don't think most people know what is actually within their own self-interest. And a lot of people think that's very subjective. I would agree. It can be subjective. Like for me, because I'm a Christian, what I believe is within my self-interest would be to help others in, you know, maybe do some charity work here and there, uh, you know, things of that nature, help people that are in your life, you know, take in, an interest in others so I think that that is now I'm not saying now I do not equate that to altruism. Okay. I don't think I'm not concerned about the greater good. I'm just concerned about maybe my friends, my family members. And yeah, sure. Maybe somebody else. I don't even know, you know, if I think I can help them, if they need me to help them, then yeah, why the heck not? Right. So I'm perfectly okay with that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, so I'm not, Kind of like I said in that that other episode, I'm not at all, not at all, you know, saying that we should not be charitable and we should not help others. That's not the idea. The idea is that if we focus less on the greater good, right, so many different government policies and regulations have been created because of the greater good in the name of the greater good. Actually, there's a really great uh, video out about this that Feed.org produces. Um, it's called it's their Out of Frame series, and it actually talks about the greater good and how, in reality, when something is done in the name of the greater good, oftentimes it's not actually within most people's benefit. It doesn't benefit most people. It actually ends up hurting the quote unquote greater good. So when we start thinking about collectivist mindsets, the policies that are generally enacted with the collectivist mentality ends up hurting the collective and the vast majority of people than it ends up helping. But anyways, we're going to get into that a little bit more. I wanted to talk about the economy, what's really going on. We've talked about it in previous episodes and just – I also felt like I kind of wanted to clarify that a little bit too. So in uh, – I don't even remember what episode it was, but – in one of the episodes that I've done in the past, you know, I said I basically stated how I thought that the economy, or at least I thought the stock market, 
was going to continue to go higher and that because the Federal Reserve is basically promising that it's going to print whatever it needs to print and, uh, well, they don't have the legal authority to print, that's the Treasury Department. But what actually happens is the Treasury Department actually ends up creating the debt. You know, the Treasury Department creates Treasury bonds and Treasury bills. And then the Federal Reserve takes those Treasury bonds and Treasury bills onto its balance sheets. Effectively, a lot of people characterize it as the Federal Reserve is typing in ones and zeros and more or less buying up assets by typing in those ones and zeros and things of that nature. So even while the Federal Reserve doesn't have the legal authority to create uh, and print actual money that is only the Treasury Department that has that authority, the Treasury Department creates the debt and the Federal Reserve more or less takes that debt and puts it on its balance sheet. That being said, though, the process actually can kind of get a little a little difficult. But anyways... Now that they are basically saying that we will do anything we have to, we will we will buy any number of assets that we have to in order to prevent the market from crashing. Ever since then, the markets have been going higher. Dow Jones, NASDAQ, S&P 500, Russell 2000, they're all going higher. And right now, the NASDAQ is over 50% recovered. The You've got, actually, they're all, I believe, over 50% recovered at this point. Now, the, the question is, is What's going to happen next? Now, I said that because the Federal Reserve was doing its monetary manipulation and it was buying bonds, junk bonds, and things of that nature, that ultimately the market may very well rally and continue to maybe even make new highs. I don't know. I certainly think that there's a, a chance that that could happen. But more or less, what I wanted to say was that when I'm talking about the, the markets – I'm not talking about the economy. Right now, there is a massive disconnect. And I and I think I mentioned this in that episode too. There is a massive disconnect between the stock market and the overall economy. Now, granted, in the past, people have looked at the markets, you know, and the indexes to try to get an idea and a feel for economic growth. But it's been like this for quite a long time. It's not like it just happened in 2020. It's been this way where the Stock markets are not really indicative of the actual economic health because the economy has been going on a tear for a long time now and yet – or at least the the markets have and the indexes have or at least they were. But the economy never really had the fundamentals that it needed to justify that in my opinion. Like their savings are still at an all-time low. I mean people just don't save money anymore. They spend every freaking dime that they make. You know, most debt that's in the economy today is, is non-productive debt. It's uh, what Robert Kiyosaki would, would call bad debt. Bad debt is debt that doesn't bring money in. So if you go into debt for the purposes of a business and your whatever business venture, maybe you buy a real estate property and then you, you rent it out so it's bringing in cash flow uh, above and excess what you borrowed, that would be considered positive debt according to Robert Kiyosaki. Um, if you borrow money to drive a car, the car is depreciating in value. You're definitely not going to make you're, – you're not making any money off that thing uh, or, or clothes or furniture, things of that nature. Then that is where that he would start classifying that as bad debt. It's non-productive debt and a lot of debt. I'd say probably the vast majority – well, I'd say a big portion if not the majority of debt today 
is non-productive. I think actually the student loan debt is the biggest form of debt that exists today, um, I believe. And I'd have to look at the numbers again. But student loan debt, now you, you could probably say that it's productive, but most of the time people are making far less money than they actually went in debt for. I know some people who have actually gone and gotten doctorate degrees and the, the jobs that they're working are pay, paying the pittance compared to what they went into debt for. Yeah, granted, that was their choice and they should have thought a little bit better about that decision, uh, the financial implications, the return on investments and things of that nature. They should have thought about that before doing it. But there's a lot of people that end up doing it. I'm one of them. I got a bachelor's degree in business administration and I'm, I'm not using that degree. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home dad that's trying to, uh, you know, do a podcast, YouTube channels, blog, you know, basically trying to create, you know, create an online business for myself. Do you really think that business administration degree is doing anything for me? No, I, I don't even remember half of the classes I went, I went through. I don't remember hardly anything from my college career. I mean, I remember a little bit here and there, but not, not a lot. I mean, they try to shove so much information down your throat. I mean, really, you're not going to retain most of it. That said, though, I wanted to make the distinction again. The stock market, when I'm talking about markets, I'm talking about the stock market, I'm talking about the bond market. I'll usually identify what what I mean by markets. But, you know, when I'm talking about the markets, I'm not talking about the economy. The economy as it stands today, I believe, is there are 33 million people that are unemployed. So... Look, the economy is not doing well. And I was actually just reading a an article from John Malden. If you guys don't know who this guy is, he's really, really good. He's from Dallas, Texas, you know, and he's, I think he, he lives in Puerto Rico now. But he basically what he does is he has this uh, economic newsletter he calls Thoughts from the Frontline. He's not an economist, not, not a professionally trained economist or traditionally trained one from a university or anything. He, I think he majored in divinity actually, but he kind of had a financial advising firm. I think he he helped a lot of people with their investments and things of that nature, which, you know, but that being said, his, how would you say his viewpoint on the economy, how he interprets economic data is in my opinion, very, very good. I don't always agree with everything he says, but his economic ideas are astounding. Now, I don't know if he is a Austrian economist. I don't think so. I know he's talked about Frederick Hayek on a number of occasions, but I don't think that he's a free market kind of guy. I mean, he he does talk about how the market's need to be free to some extent. He does talk about how, you know, you can have too much regulation, too much uh, manipulation of the markets and things of that nature. So he does talk about that, but I don't know if he's like, I don't think he goes as far as the Austrians would. So I guess you could kind of think about him in the way of maybe more of a Chicago school economist, but maybe not quite even to that extent. So I, I don't know exactly, but he, the way he interprets the economic data is pretty cool. And I like to listen to his ideas. He's not always right, but I think he has a great way of interpreting economic data and predicting what he thinks is going to happen. And I always like to read it, his articles and just kind of get a, a an idea of what is going on. It just helps me to get a better image. And the best part is it's free 
Thoughts from the front line, you go to MaldenEconomics.com. Thoughts from the front line, you can sign up for it, and it's it's free. If you guys want, I'll post a description in the link below. But it's great stuff. It's it's absolutely amazing. So I would highly recommend for if you guys don't read his stuff. He sends one a, a, a letter out to his email list probably about every every week uh, over the weekends and stuff. And they're pretty long emails. That being said, though, you know, he was under the impression that we're just at the beginning of all this, that in the end, there's going to probably be more job losses. The economic uh, turmoil is going to get worse and that there may even be another the trade war fears are not completely over. And he's under the impression that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And a lot of people are kind of thinking that once everyone starts going back to work, a lot of people are thinking that things are going to start to get better and overall we'll have a more V-shaped recovery. That's not what he believes. He believes that we're just getting started. There's a lot of Austrians out there who feel very similar. And while I agree with them on an economic standpoint, jobs and things of that nature, I wonder if the stock market is going to continue to rally. So in the last, in that other episode, I actually stated that I think that the market will continue to go higher. I don't know if it's going to make new highs. And for all I know, it could retest the highs and it could fall. And we could see like a, a very similar 2008 situation where the markets go all the way up, retest the highs, and then fall off the cliff. That could totally happen. But is it going to? I don't know. And that's really what I wanted to clarify. I don't really know what's going to happen. Nobody does. And I know that's not something that people want to hear. People want certainty, right? Everybody wants certainty. Everybody wants you to tell them what if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be successful. If you do, this is how it, this is what's actually going on. But in reality, nobody knows. And I cannot tell you that that's what's going to happen because I, or, or with, with, I can't tell you that's a hundred percent what's going to happen. I can tell you what I think is going to happen. So I think we're going to go higher. Now, I don't know if that means make new highs. That's not what I'm saying. We could, but I think we're going to go higher. I think we're going to retest the highs or at least we're going to get close and we might even make new highs. Now, does that mean the stock market is going to crash and that the Federal Reserve efforts are all for naught and that they're really not going to be able to prevent a crash? I don't know. Honestly, I'm surprised that they're, that they've been able to prevent the crash as, as far as they've been able to do so at this point. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible and not in a positive way because they're making matters worse with what they're doing. I mean, buying corporate debt and corporate debt ETFs and junk bonds and stuff. I mean, come on. That's, that's really bad. That's socialism. That is, that is socialism. Imagine the kind of pressure that they, that they're going to have the, on businesses, even more so than they already did. Okay. You know, this is not a positive thing. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom here, but it's, it's not a positive thing. So what I think is going to happen, kind of like I, I said before, I think the economy is going to get worse. I think unemployment rates are going to go higher. Okay. Until the states start to open everything back up. And I think they need to do it immediately. End the shutdown. End it now. That's what I think. But even then, market sentiment is not going to recover as quickly. There are the consumer sentiment has to recover and that's going to take a longer time. 
I don't think that people are going to go to the restaurants quite in the same way that they were. Even if you were to open it up 100% and you were to open up all the restaurants at 100% capacity, I don't think that the restaurants are going to be as packed as they were before. I think people will still favor, you know, uh, curbside pickup, or at least there will be a certain amount of people that do. So I, I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe businesses will actually do go go back to normal. But I have a tendency to think, at least when it comes to restaurants, I have a tendency to think, and even retail stores for that matter, I have a tendency to think that there's not going to be sentiment won't be there even after the economy gets back and up and running. I think that. Uh, demand has fallen and it's going to take a while for it to go back. And the more and more people lose their jobs, the more and more demand is going to continue to fall. But I think that consumer sentiment is just is not going to recover so quickly. So I think we're, we're still heading towards some rough times here. Uh, only time will tell if I'm right. But I think that we are. I would agree with John Malden in that sense. Now, when it comes to the stock market, Again, I think we're going to go higher. We might, and we're at least going to retest the highs, uh, or at least get close to the highs. And I don't know what's going to happen after that. I mean, for all I know, we could continue and make new highs. I could see us making new highs with the Federal Reserve basically saying that they're willing to print anything and do anything that they need to in order to keep the market from falling. I could also see, you know, the market retesting it and falling because of some other news item that hasn't come to fruition yet and hasn't been made public or something. I, I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know. But this is what happened in the last 2008 crisis. I will say this. In the last 2008 crisis, we had a very large and sharp decline. And then over the year, we marched higher and higher and higher, and we went all the way to retest the highs. And then we fell off the cliff. So as investors became more positive, as people started to jump in the markets more and more and more, that it got worse. Now, is it going to happen exactly in that same way? Again, I don't know for sure, but it might it might, or it could just continue to recover and we could make uh, new highs. But again, the stock market is not, and even the bond market, these are co totally disconnected from actual economic data. But it will be interesting to see over time whether or not the Federal Reserve and its efforts are going to be strong enough to actually keep the stock and bond market going higher. Um, that being said, though, let's go ahead and jump into the topic that I really, really honestly wanted to get into at the start of this episode. So in the last episode, I made the statement that we are not all in this together. And in truth, we're not. We just aren't. Okay. Now, I'm, again, I'm not trying to say hide in your house, don't help anybody, you know, harden your heart type of stuff. I'm not trying to say that. I am, however, trying to say that if you focus on your own betterment, if you focus on bettering yourself, learning a new skill, uh, trying to make more money, improving your family's relate your your relationship with your family things of that nature when you when you focus on those types of things you're going to make your life and other people's lives around you better now i so how i say this is i say you need to focus on your own self-interest but here's the question what is your own self-interest you know so many people I think personally get this wrong 
And most people don't even know what what is their own self-interest. And in fact, act against their own self-interest in most cases. And I think this is this is really the problem. There are lots of people out there that think that they're doing their own self-interest and they're 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 acting within their own self-interest and they're and in reality they're not. They're actually acting against their own self-interest. They're just too blind to see it. Uh, f- for example, I wanted to uh, kind of give you guys this example and just uh, help, to help you kind of understand what I'm saying. I knew a trader in the past who he was he was getting into trading for the first time and he took this course and he was really excited. He started trading, 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 but he never did any backtesting. He just wanted to trade and he, he had this motivation. His incentive was that he, he wanted to make money. He wanted to make it fast. And, you know, this is the story of most traders, isn't it? Where they want to basically, the minute they learn how to trade, they don't want to do the necessary work and they want to go out there and they want to try to make a lot of money and they don't want to wait. They think they're acting within their own self-interest and this trader certainly did. He thought he was acting within his own self-interest. He thought he was getting out there. He didn't think it was within his self-interest to take more time to do all the necessary work. He thought he just, he had a plan that he was taught or he had a strategy that he was taught and he thought the best thing for him was to go off and trade that strategy, even though he never tested the strategy to know whether it was positive and whether it was positive on every single market and every single stock that he was trading it on. So... You know, he ended up making a lot of money over time and things were looking very, very, very good for him. But because he didn't have a trading strategy, because he never tested those, the strategy, he didn't really believe in the strategy. And unfortunately, he was, uh, he had a hard time seeing that. And eventually, he blew up his account. He thought he was acting within his own self-interest. He thought he was doing what he needed to do to make money and to make it quickly. And he thought he was doing um, the best thing he could for himself, right? He thought that this was better. But in the end, it, it, it was not. And it, it ended up hurting him very, very bad. Now, I tell you that because I want you to understand and to try to give you an example. I mean, this guy, he, he lost a lot of money. And he's a, he's, he's a very talented individual. He has the potential, but he, re, he just, he refused to do what is necessary in order to become that success. But look, there are so many people today that act against their own self-interest because they don't know what is actually within their self-interest. Sometimes we, I do it too. I do it too. Everybody does it. We all think with our limited view, our limited view on the future and with our limited information that we have, given the circumstances that we're in, we all act in a certain way, thinking that it's within our own self-interest. We all act in ways that we think are going to benefit us, but only time will tell. And sometimes time tells us that, uh, our decisions were actually not within our, did not benefit us at all. It actually ended up hurting us. And this is something that does happen. So how do we determine what is within our self-interest? Well, first and foremost, I think we need to ask ourselves who we are. Who are you? Who am I? If you don't even know who we are then and, your desire, and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and our fears, then how on earth are we ever going to be able to know what is within our own self-interest? 
How are we going to know what's really going to benefit us in the long run? So that's the first thing is we need to, to ask ourselves that question, really sit down and really start to focus on ourselves in that sense and start to ask ourselves, who are we? What are our goals? And then after that, we need to, like for me, I, I'm a Christian, okay? So I believe that it is within my own self-interest to help others. But anyways, the idea here that I'm trying to get across to you is so, it's so hard to know what is actually within your own self-interest. So before, I guess the overall message here is that we all, we are all imperfect people. Perfection is not long for this world, and we are all imperfect human beings. So it's going to be impossible for us to perfectly act within our own self-interest. And there are going to be many times throughout our lives where we don't act within our own self-interest because we don't know what is actually within our own self-interest. You know, I would say that if you want to really know that, go read the Bible, right? That's what I would say. I would say that that kind of stuff because that helps you to understand what is within your self-interest because God has plans. I mean, God has, in the Bible, there are many, many, many verses that talk about what would benefit your life by serving God and things of that nature. Now, if you're not a Christian, then that's fine. But you still need to understand what is it that you believe in? You need to understand who you are. What's your identity? What are you tying your identity up in? Or what are you tying to your identity? Who are you? And then, you know, what kind of, what would be within your own self-interest in that sense? So we can't really know that without knowing ourselves. And we, we need to know ourselves in order to figure that out. But in the end, even though what is within your own self-interest may be a subjective thing to some people, I think that there are many, many, many things that are within your self-interest and not within your self-interest that benefit you and hurt you. And it's black and white and it does, and it's not subjective. Things like going into debt for a vacation. There's lots of people that think that that's going to benefit them to go on the vacation. They don't care about the finances. They're just going to put it on a credit card or take a personal loan out and they're just going to do that. But what in reality they are doing is they're pulling consumption that is in the future and they are pulling that future consumption into the present. And as a result, they will not be able to consume as much into the future. And, and they won't be able to save as much. They won't be able to invest as much. They won't have as much disposable income because then now they're going to have to pay that debt off and at a high interest rate too. And in reality, because they took out the debt to go on this vacation, the vacation ended up costing them a lot more than it would have had otherwise. You see, this is not within their own self-interest to do, but they think it is. They're so short-sighted. They don't understand finances. There are so many things than just you know, religion and personal decisions, you know, uh, with regards to friends and family members, you know, there's also, there's tons of financial decisions that are made as well. Investing decisions, things of this nature that are all made under the, the guise of benefiting ourselves, or at least the hope that it will. But in the end, it doesn't. And it's near, and so there are, 
black and white. This is right. This is wrong. This will benefit you. This will hurt you. This is within your self-interest. This is not. There are many, many examples of that out there when it comes to personal finances. There are tons of examples. Okay? There are. There really are. But you got to educate yourself to be able to recognize those things. Because the world, the public school systems, even our family members are not going to educate us on that stuff. So not only do you have to know who you are, and I do think that there are some things that are subjective when it comes to self-interest, but there are a lot of things that I think are black and white. To think that the entire world is a bunch of gray, gray areas is foolish. It's not, it's not right. It's not, it's not right at all. When it comes to Christian type things, yes, I'm going to say that I think that anything that leans towards the Christian ideology is, or at least the Christian ideology that I subscribe to and non-denominational, um, I guess you could say closest thing that, that what I am is uh, maybe a born again Christian. Um, but I, I don't subscribe. I don't say that I'm a born again Christian. I'm just non-denominational. But if anything, I call myself a Christian objectivist. I try to merge the Christian views with Ayn Rand's views, her objectivist philosophy. So I think that what is within your self-interest is serving God, doing things that furthers your relationship with God, stuff like that. And I think, personally, that that is 100% the, the way to go. And if you're not doing that, then I think you're going in the wrong direction. You're not acting within your own self-interest. You just don't know it. You just don't see it. But I do think that there are things that are subjective when it comes to self-interest. I do think that there are things that are subjective. Well, like, what car should I buy? You know, do, is this home appliance better than this one? You know, should I go on this vacation or not? You know, should, uh, should I start that business or, should, or is it too risky? These things are subjective. And, and there's a whole host of other things out there. There's a whole list of them. And they are subjective. The only way that you'll really know which, what is really right is knowing who you are and then your education. You need to be educated in the areas that you're interested in. And when you're trying to make a decision, you need to educate yourself on what you're making a decision about. Otherwise, you could very well act against yourself, against your self-interest. So, Know who you are, number one. That is the first thing you need to do in order to act within your own self-interest. The second thing is that you need to educate yourself on the topic. Because you may, in your education, in your journey to discover whether you should engage in a type of venture or not, you might find out that this is much riskier than you thought it was going to. For example, I'm going to give you uh, another example from my life that I've had. I almost started on my journey to becoming a, uh, a financial advisor when it, right when I got out of college in 2017. I, I you know, three years ago, I try, I was considering going into financial advising because I, I love investing, I love stock market, I love the stock market, bond markets, I love economics, I love all that stuff. So it seemed like it was a pretty good fit for me. But upon more and more research and getting more and more to the topic, I didn't even advance past the initial testing phase, okay? So it's not like I got very far. But I 
I started researching what exactly I would be selling, what I would be allowed to sell, what I wouldn't be allowed to sell, and what exactly is in financial advising. Like what what entails the job of a financial advisor? And the further I got into my research and the more and more I, I, I dived deeper into it, I discovered that it was not my not my thing. Because financial advisors, if you want to make any money at it, you have to sell things and products that I honestly disagree with. You have to, you tend to promote ideas like buying and holding and rarely ever looking at your investments and trusting some Joe Schmo that he's managing your stuff right. And in the end, I'm one who supports active investing, not passive investing. And you need to, and if you're going to be active, you need to understand what the heck you're doing. I couldn't tell someone that they should invest in whatever financial advising firm I was looking at, I couldn't tell them you should just invest in this fund that they have. They have a whole list of products that you can buy from and you're supposed to sell those products. Now, they offer a lot of other services and things of that nature, but that's one of the things that they do. Hey, invest in this Roth IRA with with this financial advising firm and buy this ETF that the financial advising firm does or creates or buy this fund or whatever it is. Let us manage your your money and we'll determine what we think is best for you to buy and based on our investing strategies and you'll just pay us a fee. What are your investing strategies? Well, we believe in, you know, fundamental analysis and we believe in trying to understand the markets and looking at healthy companies and investing in those, but we don't even invest directly in companies. We invest in exchange traded funds and, and whatnot and things of that nature and so on and so forth. I disagreed with a with a massive amount. I don't have anything against ETFs, okay, exchange traded funds. I don't have anything against those. They're they're highly liquid, so I like that, and they come with low fees, right? Again, so I like that feature. What I don't like is that diversification. The idea behind diversification that um, is behind ETFs and things of that nature is is BS. The whole notion that if you're diversified, you're reducing your risk. It's, it's BS. It's not, it's not right. It's not true. If you're diversified in ETFs, you're not diversified at all. You're only, maybe you could say that you're diversified in terms of one asset class, which is paper asset. Or in today's day, age, you could call it digital assets, right? But when, when it comes to that, you're only diversified in one kind of asset. Which, according to Robert Kiyosaki, there are four, I believe. And then on top of that, you're only diversified with regards to one strategy. The guy that actually created modern portfolio theory, which I think is where the whole ideology of you know diversification, the whole uh, investing theory of diversification came from, is he, he didn't intend it to just be within stocks to one asset class or bonds or whatever. He intended it to be applied to everything. From strategies to asset classes, you name it. Diversify it all. And in that way, I could definitely see, um, I could definitely see a benefit. But still, I still think that diversification doesn't, I mean, when there's a crash, everything burns. And the things that don't, it's near impossible to predict what they're going to be. I would say it's impossible to. Well, maybe there are some people who could do it, but most people are not going to have that ability. But hey, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I just, I really hope that that I was 
clear by what I mean by that. I know I've been saying that for the past couple episodes here, but um, these ideas are, are not always the easiest to talk about. But the main idea is that not everybody knows what, what is actually within their own self-interest and because they don't really know who they are. They don't really know who they really are and they don't do any research or educate themselves on the thing on the questions that they're really getting into and a lot of times they have already predetermined what they want to believe in so when they do the research that they think is necessary if they do research at all it's only going to be within their biased way of thinking they're not going to be interested in, in hearing anything that's to the contrary of what they want to believe even if what they want, what they believe in is not actually within their own self-interest. It's actually hurting them. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. So you need to know who you are. You need to educate yourself. And those are some of the ways that you can get a better idea of what really is within your own self-interest. But that being said, guys, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Before we go, I want to mention a few affiliate programs that I'm signed up with and some companies that I think are amazing and I think will do nothing but benefit you in the long run and in the short run. You know, these guys are awesome. First and foremost, it's Skillshare. Guys, Skillshare is an amazing company, has hundreds of courses out there. It's dirt cheap. It's like $100 for the entire year. And if you sign up, I believe they're, I mean, they're always running this promotion where they'll give you like a month or two months for free. Guys, I have this subscription. I love it. There are tons of courses. I mean, you can literally find courses on anything, whether it's trading, whether it's investing. I'm pretty sure there's stuff on there there for there. I, I personally have used it for website design. I personally used it for email marketing. And guys, there's so, so much more than that how to use particular softwares like uh say Camtasia how to use particulars which is a which is a software that i use also there's a it's just so much knowledge and value in this and it's dirt cheap to get involved with i mean we're talking about learning new skills all the time becoming investing in yourself investing in your own human capital guys there's no reason you shouldn't do this. So go to Skillshare.com, click the link on the description below if you want to support what I'm doing here. Also, on top of that, if you're interested in trading, we talk about trading a lot here on the show, go to Tier1Trading.com. I'll put that link in the description below as well. But guys, there is no better place to learn this. These guys, Akil Stokes, Jason Greystone, Darren, these guys are going to teach you everything there is to know about trading. They're going to teach you the beginner stuff. They're also going to teach you about the advanced stuff as well. They're not going to turn you down the wrong path. They're absolutely amazing. Go check them out. They're really great. Again, I've learned from Akil Stokes personally. He's an amazing trader. Jason Greystone, I've learned from him too. So guys, go check it out. They're awesome. You you want You can't go wrong with them. And last but not least, if you're into trading, you need a trading software, right? A, a charting platform. You could do no better than going to tradingview.com. Guys, tradingview.com 
is again an amazing charting uh, software. I use it all the time. It's on the internet. You don't have to download an app, although they do have mobile apps. I will say that I love them. They're easy to use. The user interface is is very very simple. You can draw with your um, if it's on your iPad, your phone. You can draw on the charts just on those, and it's really not that bad. But on the desktop, guys, it's amazing. If you want to see it in action, go check out my YouTube channel, Matthew Spaziti. There's tons of videos where I'm actually doing, you know, just free trainings, you know, free educational content for you guys on trading and how I analyze the markets and stuff like that. So guys, go check out TradingView. Click on the link in the description below. It's really cheap to get signed up. It's really not that expensive. I use it every single week. It's absolutely amazing. It's it's awesome stuff. I use it all the time. And I really wouldn't look at for any other platform. And you can trade directly from the charts. They actually have partnered with different brokers and stuff. So you can actually trade straight from the charts. I can't tell you how amazing it is to not have to look at your broker screen on one screen and then your charts on another screen. It sucks. You don't want to have to do that. You won't have to do that with TradingView. So, guys, if you're interested in any of that, it's a huge compliment to me. If you decide to get involved in any of those those affiliate programs, yes, I will be compensated if you decide to. And hey, it's a great way for you guys to support the show. And there will be many, many more ways to come. Many more ways for you guys to support me in the show and everything that I'm doing here. That being said, guys, hey, go check out the website, newmillenniumwealth.com. Go check out the, the podcast, the matthewspazitiprogram.podbean.com, or just go to the website, New Millennium Wealth, or iTunes iTunes is a great way to do too as well. If you like, if you're viewing this on YouTube, make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and yeah, go check out all the other stuff. We got Twitter page. I think it's a New Millennium Wealth W1. You know, I'll post a link in the description for all the others. This Facebook page, a whole bunch of places. You can easily get it. You can easily follow along with what I'm doing. If you like what I'm saying, if you like this kind of content, then get involved. Start following me. It's only going to get better from here. Guys, also, last but certainly not least, make sure to share the show. I want to continue this message and to continue growing this message of financial freedom and economics to as many people as we can possibly reach. I think it's important that people need to stop focusing on politics, stop focusing on the things they can't change, they can't do anything about. They need to focus on themselves. I think it's a very empowering message. And if you do too, make sure to share the show. If you'll do all that for me, guys, and I know it's a lot, but hey, you guys can do it. Y'all are awesome. If you do all all that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a good day.